We spend the next few minutes of WGTD's morning show talking about one of the most essential facets of human life and one which is still, to a large extent, not fully understood and certainly not fully appreciated. I'm talking about sleep. And we're going to be spending the next few minutes talking with Kat Duff about her new book called The Secret Life of Sleep. Uh, Kat Duff uh, is well known for her fine book, The Alchemy of Illness. And she has explored a a, a number of different topics related to uh, well-being, but has had a lifelong interest in sleep and and has capitalized on that interest and uh, her expertise to uh, pen a really fascinating book, which helps us explore some of the deepest mysteries and most intriguing questions about sleep. The book is published by Atria, again called The Secret Life of Sleep. Kat Duff, we welcome you to the morning show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I happen to be uh, a, a recently diagnosed with sleep apnea and underwent my first sleep study uh, within the last six months. So your book is so well-timed for me because uh, I am thinking about my own sleep in a way that I absolutely never did before. And of course, there's a lot of us out there either who are dealing with sleep apnea or, or dealing with other sleep disorders uh, who I think will welcome your book as a, as a way to to better understand what's going on when we sleep. Uh, could you explain to our listeners a little bit about your intriguing interest in sleep, which strikes me as being uh, uh, exceptionally acute. I mean, in other words, you've been more interested in sleep than most of us are. Um, Tell us the origins of that. Well, I have always loved to sleep, for one thing. As a kid, I often thought it was my favorite part of the day. Uh, But uh, I also came to realize over the years that it been my favorite cure-all. If I was upset about something or stuck on a problem or just out of sorts, I would just go to bed. Uh, and oftentimes things would fix themselves. Um, and then uh, later on in my work as a counselor, I began to notice that uh, most of my clients weren't sleeping well. And if we could help them to sleep better, uh, their problems would get much better. Uh, anxiety, depression, uh, Anger management issues, attention issues, all of those things can be helped by better sleep. So that got me really interested because nothing in my training and education as a counselor or as a teacher had prepared me for that. We, you know, sleep was kind of ignored. Hmm. I think one of the most interesting points you make in your book had never dawned on me, uh, and it is this, sleep is hard to study because it exists by definition outside of our conscious awareness. And, yes. uh, and of course, on some level, we, we all know that's true, but I'd never stop to really consider the, the ramifications of that, that indeed it, it does make it uh, kind of an elusive thing to study, and it's also one reason why we have misunderstood sleep. In fact, you tell us that up until the mid of, uh, middle of the 20th century, we very much misunderstood what was going on when we sleep in terms of the human brain. Tell us what our understanding was up until that point, or the assumption that that most scientists made. The Western scientific assumption was that, uh, you know, nothing really happened. It was an empty space when our bodies and our brains shut down, uh, like turning off a light, a light. And then 
when we woke up, it was like turning back that light on. Uh, one of the interesting things I found out in my study is that uh, Asian traditions had long studied sleep for centuries, millennia, really. Uh, and they had uh, a great understanding of sleep and its stages. They described deep sleep and dream sleep as two different kinds of sleep, which it turns out that our scientists and our tradition, um, you know, at the very end of the 20th century, using the EEG machines to monitor, uh, began to identify those same stages. I find uh, some of the images that you create in your book to, to describe sleep and the contrast between sleep and wakefulness uh, to be so intriguing. My favorite, I think, is when you say sleep and waking states are like separate countries with a common border. We cross over twice daily, remembering one world and forgetting the other, inadvertently tracking invisible residues from one into the other. I just love that image on so many levels. Can we start with the basic image you are describing, that of two separate countries with a common border? Uh, in what way is that a helpful image uh, for, for, for understanding what sleep is and what it means to be awake? Well, what I like about that image is that it recognizes that sleep is its own world as well as our waking lives. We tend to focus on our waking lives and think of our sleep lives as just an empty space. But in fact, lots goes on in our sleep. We keep thinking and feeling and going over things in our sleep. We practice our skills. We remember things. We weigh variables. We we solve problems. Have you ever had the experience of... uh, being uh, bothered by something when you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and you get in the shower and all of a sudden it, it dawns on you, oh, this is what I need to do. That's because your sleep has been working on it and figuring it out. Uh, so they do uh, relate very much to each other, but they have this kind of invisible line between them. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I remember that from, I think, the second Uh, the 11th chapter of your book, Knitting Up the Revel Sleeve of Care, Emotional Restoration, when you tell us that that we are beginning to understand the role that sleep and dreams play in, in what you describe as managing the emotions that often get the better of us by day. Do we understand the mechanism by which that restoration or process of kind of making sense of things, how that happens when we sleep, when we dream? What's going on? We're learning more. We don't understand it all, of course. (laughs) uh, But um, part of what we do in our dreaming lives, and by the way, even people who don't remember dreams still dream. Uh, That's been pretty well established, uh, is that we kind of reiterate um, and it's the issues that are bothering us and, and kind of dramatize them in different ways in order to um, scale down the upset, in a sense. Um, I think that's why the Irish say, you know, a good laugh and a long sleep are the best cures. Uh, or it's also said uh, the best bridge between despair and hope is a good night's sleep. How exactly we make that shift from being overwhelmed and discouraged and despairing at night and waking up the next morning and ready to take on the day. Uh, 
involves both the dreaming sleep where we we go over our the things that are bothering us, but also that deep sleep where we let it all go and we kind of empty out. And I think it's the combination of the two that really does the does the trick. Mm. Of course, there are all kinds of people who have all kinds of difficulty with sleep, with falling asleep, with remaining asleep, and it seems like these are numbers which are are escalating. One of the most curious phenomena, of course, is uh, the fear of falling asleep. You give us a couple of different names for that, hypnophobia or somnophobia. Uh, it's such an intriguing, and I'm sure for the people who suffer from it, very, very troubling condition. Uh, what do we know about this curious experience of those who are actually fearful of falling asleep? What is going on there? Well, it's kind of a hypervigilance. You know how um, if we're walking down a dark street at night, we have all our antennae out to see, you know, what's lurking in the shadows, if there's any danger around. We're hyper alert. We're hyper vigilant. Uh, And uh, some people, their nervous systems have a hard time letting go of that hyper vigilance. And so, and I have a couple of friends who are like this, who are chronic insomniacs, they, they get close to sleep and then something suddenly wakes them up. What if, wait a minute, what if this or that is going on? What do I have to listen to? Uh, it may be carried over from times in our evolution or our history when we lived in more dangerous times, uh, when more was foot that we had to watch out for, or it may be a function of being overstimulated in our world. Now we have, you know, lights and sounds and TVs and everything is blaring, it seems. Uh, and it could also be a function of um, when people have been left alone to cry as babies uh, too often, what can happen is that their nervous systems get extra sensitive to stress and extra taut, and then they may grow up to be people who can't fall asleep or stay asleep. One really intriguing thing in your book is when you talk about the booming sleep industry, and in particular how uh, sleeping pills are such an important, profitable part of the, huh. the pharmaceutical industry, and yet you tell us uh, very persuasive evidence that indicates that, in fact, uh, most sleeping medications, sleep aids, do almost nothing to actually help people sleep. Uh, yeah. Tell us more about what, what these studies show. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. One in four Americans take a sleep medication every night. And uh, what the studies show is that, on average, sleeping pills give us an extra 11 minutes of sleep. Uh, What they do is they usually shorten the time it takes to fall asleep, so there's less time for that anxiety and that sleep dread to build up. Um, But more importantly, what they do is they lower anxiety, so we just people less worried about whether we're going to get enough sleep or not. And we don't remember our nights when we wake up in the morning, so it feels like we're more rested when actually we just got 11 more minutes. And in fact, most sleeping pills will actually shorten the time we spend in dream sleep and in the deep sleep that is so physically uh, regenerating. So uh, 
chronic use of sleeping pills will actually accelerate our aging because mm. we don't spend as much time in that deep regenerating sleep. Interesting. And it's so interesting. You, you, you tell us about these results, and, and then you write, I can hear my friends who take Ambien nightly protest that it is not true, insisting they sleep more and do better the next day with the drug. But you tell us lab studies consistently report that people think they get more sleep when they take medication than they actually do. In other words, people do not generally do all that good a job of assessing their own sleep and in particular how their sleep has been positively or adversely affected by something. That's true uh, because, of course, we don't remember our sleep. Uh, An interesting study has come out since I wrote the book uh, demonstrating that if someone is told they had a good sleep, they actually uh, do much better that day and perform much better as if they did have a better sleep, even if they didn't. Uh, so there's a certain value in that placebo effect of thinking that you got better sleep than you did, but of course it's limited. Hmm. Well, and when I underwent my, my sleep study, uh, one of the things that was difficult for me was to answer all the preliminary questions about typically how a a night of sleep unfolds for me. And then when I had that first sleep study and awoke the next morning, it was very difficult for me to answer those questions, such as how many times did you wake up? How long were you up? I mean, how long did you deeply sleep? Uh, Did you dream? Uh, I I realized that, that, that those were all questions that were really hard for me to answer. And of course, that circles us right back to one of the first points we made in this interview, that the study of sleep uh, is very, very difficult, and it probably always will be. I think you're right. Uh, Stanley Korn, who was one of the, uh, wrote, wrote the earliest books about sleep, uh, told this great story. He said that he had a really bad night of sleep. He was awake all night. He In the morning, he was telling his wife, uh, when she woke up, oh, I never slept. It was terrible. And then they noticed there was dust on the bed. And and he looked up, and the ceiling had cracked, and plaster had fallen onto the bed. They had slept through the uh, earthquake in San Francisco, and he thought he had never slept. <laughs> mm. So uh, our perceptions oftentimes of our sleep, insomniac saying that I didn't sleep a wink, or people saying I slept great the whole night are sometimes off from what really happened. Right. I mean, those electrodes attached to your the, your temples, they, th- those don't lie, but no, uh, they, they, don't. Some, they sometimes paint a, a picture that's really hard for us to understand. Well, true. F- for much more information about the uh, mysterious uh, experience of sleep and its undeniable benefits, uh, we can turn to your book, again titled The Secret Life of Sleep. Uh, it's published by Atria Books, the author, Cat Duff. Cat Duff, thank you so much. I, I was intrigued by your book on so many levels, and I know many people will find a lot to uh, drink in and, and, and ponder. So thank you thank so much you. for joining me today. Thank you. Bye-bye.